Welcome to an encore presentation of Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Honey, it's the beginning of the week, and it's time for a brand new Chasing the Word series here on Compassion Radio. Very brand new, yes. It's a book in the Old Testament this time. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to jump into the Minor Prophets, and I'm not even sure how we arrived exactly at this particular <laughs> book, other than that you and I have been praying through, how do we find something that really hits it on the nail for where we are right now, mm-hmm. and that the Word of God is always timely, no matter where you jump in. But there's a lot going on in the world right now, and a lot of challenges to faithful living, Yes. And to missional living, how we live outward focus for what God's purposes are that are really under attack and are kind of sitting behind this front burner of what's going on politically, economically in the world. And we as believers, we're in a kingdom. And that kingdom itself has staying power, no matter what the politics of the day are. So we arrived at an agreement between you and I that we would jump back <laughs> into what God had to say about the kingdom in its first iteration which was the kingdom of Israel in the land of Israel way back when. Yeah. And the book we chose was? The book of Haggai. Haggai, but it's also a lens into what the people of Israel were going through that is not just part of the mainstream history that we're always taught about what happened to the nation of Israel. Right. Back in Jeremiah, he laments that God has finally passed judgment on Israel and sent Israel into exile. They are now living as virtual slaves in the kingdom of Babylon, mm-hmm. now the Persian Empire. A couple generations go by. A lot has happened to those people where they are. But they weren't the only ones in the story. Mm. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about those who were left behind. We stayed back. Mm-hmm. This is a story about the left behinders. <laughs> yeah. And Haggai is the prophet that addresses them while all this other stuff is going on with the exiled Israel being sent back. Mm -hmm. So while Ezra and Nehemiah are busy trying to rebuild things from the outside, those left in the land are the people that Haggai himself is addressing. We find at the beginning of Haggai that there are exiles coming back from Babylon Mm -hmm. and that originally King Cyrus had said, you guys go back, start rebuilding the city, rebuild your temple. Some things got turned over and upended, and then King Darius comes in in 520 B.C., and he says, yeah, keep going. Get on with it. Do this. And that's when we're told this book was written, or that Haggai was given the vision from God. Yeah. So he addresses both groups of people in this book. The ones who are in the land of Israel that remained there, you know, think about where they started. When they were left behind, when the exile happened— Babylon stole all the pretty ones, all Mm -hmm. the well-educated ones, all the powerful ones, took all the glitz and glamour that Israel had to offer, including all their gold and silver, and hauled it off. Mm -hmm. The people themselves were a prize. He took people that were able-bodied, able to work his fields and populate his universities and serve in his temples and his palaces. Mm -hmm. Who did he leave behind? Anybody who probably couldn't make the journey. Probably the sick and infirm and the old. And and the very, very young, just left to die in the fields. It's not a great origin story for that particular group of people. In their minds, what they would say in modern language, the Holocaust, Mm. they were left over after a great rending of the nation and a disappearance of so many. They were left with nothing, no property, no money, nothing in the fields, no animals. They were left to starve. Their story is a rags to riches story. Right. By the time Haggai addresses them, 
He addresses where they've come from and where they've arrived to. They know their story, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of implied in the book that they've come from nothing and come to all things. Right. And in two generations, they're suddenly, in their minds, rich. Mm -hmm. Now, rich is a very relative thing, right? When you think about what we would consider rich in our own culture, we start going through a list of things that would indicate that we've made it, that we can afford this kind of car, we live in this kind of house, we dress this kind of way with certain kinds of clothing, we take certain kinds of vacations. We spend money on this kind of food. We go to these kind of places. We have our own sliding scale in our mind. But back then, what would be considered rich, who knows? However, it's still a state of mind. I was thinking about a story I saw on BBC a few years ago about the wars happening in Darfur at the time in Sudan. They were talking about people who were driven out, chased down by the Janjaweed militias and people's testimony. What was it like before the war came? What's it like now? And they were interviewing one man who was quite a proud man. He had been a herdsman and a farmer, which is quite a deal in the Darfur. They were asking, what was it like before? Did you have enough to eat? Did you live well? Did you have many children? He said, oh, yes, I was very rich. Really, tell us about that. And he described how many cows and goats and things mm-hmm. he had and, and the kind of crops he would bring in. But they said, well, how did you live with your family? Because he had many children. He said, oh, we were very rich. Inside of our houses, we actually had mattresses. Mm-hmm. And for them, that was the mark of yeah. wealth, to actually Status. have something mm-hmm. soft to sleep on. And so in his mind, he went from the ultimate of luxury, which was a mattress on the floor, to living outdoors under a tarp. Mm -hmm. For him, that was the great fall. In our minds, what we think of, what's in our hearts as being worth pursuing or worth accomplishing in life has a lot to do with people's expectations before us. What is it considered to be rich or to be poor? Mm -hmm. And we measure ourselves against those things in our time. Haggai is dealing with people who see themselves as having risen to the level of riches. Mm -hmm. They were the nobodies who came out of nowhere and bootstrapped it until they were rich. And now we have a whole bunch of exiles coming back from another country. That's an interesting story in itself. Yeah. Well, and King Darius is telling them, go back and rebuild your temple. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you want to do a full dive into the deep end here, go back and read the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, right. and you'll begin to see how all of this plays in and what Haggai is saying. They're contemporaries here. Right. The things that are happening in Ezra and Nehemiah and how Nehemiah is coming back to build the temple, Haggai's here and he's like, okay, let's address all of this. The people coming in and the people that have been here all along, let's look at the bigger picture. And we're also at an era where the kings of both Judah and Israel, Mm -hmm. that's no more. That's been done away with. So the Israel that's going to come out of this is going to be as a subject state to other foreign powers. Mm -hmm. From that point, all the way through until Jesus, pretty much, they never had their own autonomy. So this is a new era emotionally, mentally, politically, and spiritually for these people. It is going to be a new thing God does. But somehow the temple bridges all of those eras Mm. of Israel's history. And there's a reason why God wanted that temple rebuilt physically. It's a stand-in for something even bigger that we in the church understand to be the eternal kingdom of God, which is his people. Mm -hmm. Honey, let's jump in now and read the first chapter of Haggai and get started on this. Since we'll be reading through this a number of times in our series here, I'll go ahead and take the first crack at it here. From the book of Haggai, we're reading from the voice translation right now. On the first day of the sixth month, during the second year King Darius reigned over the Persian Empire, the prophet named Haggai gave a message from the Eternal One to men named Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son and the Jewish governor of Judah, and Joshua, Jehozadak's son and the high priest. 
This is what the Eternal, the commander of heavenly armies, who is more powerful even than the king, had to say. Eternal One, these people living in Jerusalem say it's not yet the right time for them to rebuild the temple, the place where the Eternal One dwells. The prophet Haggai gave a message from the Eternal. Eternal One says, Do you think the time is right for you to live in secure and lavishly covered homes when my house still lies in a heap of rubble? Think very carefully about your choices. You have planted a large crop, but your harvest is small. You have food to eat, but it's never enough to satisfy. You have something to drink, but you're never filled. You have clothes to wear, but they are not enough to keep you warm. You earn a salary, but the money runs out quickly, as if there are holes in your pocket. Think very carefully about your choices. Go up to the mountains and bring down trees to make lumber and build my house. Do this so I may take pleasure in it and be honored by it. You expected to be well rewarded for all your hard work, but as you see, you are getting back almost nothing. As you have brought in profits, I've blown them away. Why? I, the Eternal, commander of the heavenly armies, will tell you why. My house has remained in ruins while each of you has been chasing after your own concerns. This is why heaven above you has held back the dew, and the earth has refused to produce crops. I caused a drought in both the fields and the hills. All the crops you tried to produce have been affected, including your grain, your new wine, and your oil. All have been damaged. Humanity, cattle, and everything you tried to produce yourself. Then Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, Joshua, Jehozadak's son, and the high priest, and all those who had returned obeyed the voice of the Eternal their true God. They took seriously the message brought by the prophet Haggai, believing he had been sent by the Eternal One, whom they worshipped and feared. On the twenty-fourth day of that sixth month, which was King Darius's second year, Haggai, the messenger of the Eternal One, received this new message from the Eternal and shared it with the people. Eternal One says, I am with you. And the Eternal One rallied the spirit of Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, and Judah's governor, and the spirit of Joshua, Jehozadak's son, and the high priest, and the spirit of all those who had returned to Jerusalem, so that they came together and began work on the house of their God, the Eternal, commander of heavenly armies. You know, honey, when I first read this chapter, I thought, how mean of God <laughs> to destroy their crops and leave them starving or whatever. But I begin to ask the Holy Spirit to really enlighten me mm-hmm. with this. Yeah. And it occurs to me that the temple God is talking about is me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the bigger picture, right? As yeah. believers in Christ, we see ourselves as being part of the thing God has built not just going to that thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think how oftentimes I have built my kingdom, my outer world, not really taken a lot of heed to my inner world and Mm. to the temple itself. I read a quote by Eugene Peterson just this week in a book that I'm reading of his called The Contemplative Pastor. Mm. And he says, the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. Yes, yes. We will put many a rampart on that one. Exactly. That's what I see in chapter one for me. That's kind of the big, broad picture. And I'm seeing kind of a a parallel to what Jesus says. If you really want to be rich, go poor. Mm -hmm. If you want to be strong, go weak. Mm -hmm. They're all paradoxes, and they seem like oxymorons. But he's saying, let the things you trust in 
not be the things you trust in. Trust in the things that are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And so many times we choose to trust or invest in things that are not good returns. Mm-hmm. Or we throw our money at big bets thinking it'll bring a great return, but we lose everything. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what happens in the stock market sometimes. It's what happens in relationships that we invest in that were bad bets to start with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are all kinds of ways where we can get a bad return on investment. God is showing us again here that there are certain things that are eternal, which will never fade away. As he would say, where the moth does not eat and the worm does not chew through and destroy. It's the solid gold of life and eternity. Mm -hmm. He's getting to that with these people. Mm -hmm. He wants them really rich, Mm -hmm. which means he's present. Yeah. In that time, the place to be present with God, let God be present with you, was in a physical structure. Before he unleashed his spirit on all mankind... This was it. Mm -hmm. So he's leading them back to the place where he can be personally involved with their life. That has got to be his motivation here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put them through all this discipline. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. In that time, the place to be present with God and let God be present with you was in a physical structure. Before he unleashed his spirit on all mankind, this was it. Mm -hmm. So he's leading them back to the place where he can be personally involved with their life. That has got to be his motivation here. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put them through all this discipline. You talked about God being unfair. It never seems fair when God literally owns the weather and says, I personally sent this kind of destruction to you. I held back the rain so your crop wouldn't grow well. He's saying, look to the portents here. I'm actually behind these kind of things, and I'm not unaware of what's happening with the weather. That is not to say, I think, that every single thing that happens in life, we look and say, oh, God did that. Correct. Yeah. But when God says, yeah, I'm behind that one, he's taking personal responsibility, but for a reason not to punish or to shame, but to draw them back. And it does seem strange, because there are other places where God says, I sent you thunder and lightning and famines and pestilence, and you still wouldn't turn to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. That seems totally bizarre. But he's not telling us all that's going on in his mind at the time. He never asks us to sort that out before we make a decision to obey him or follow him. Right. Two times in this passage, Haggai says, quoting God, I guess here, think carefully 
about your choices. Think yeah. very carefully about Weigh your choices. Them. Yeah. That is a great reminder for me because often we just make choices about, oh, am I going to do this or that or this or that? And we don't really weigh the balance. We don't really consider the cost consider and the benefit. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Haggai is saying to them, consider the choices that you're making. Think this through. Right. Yeah. And consider how this affects you. Personally, God is concerned with how it affects us personally. He's seeing us build our own kingdoms. He's seeing us shore up our defenses mm. around us and make sure that our bunkers are full of crops and wine and storehouses are full of things that we need. Yet we're neglecting the temple. We're neglecting the internal work of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Beyond just the personal piety, I want to make sure that we state here that this is a corporate call. Mm-hmm. God is calling all the people to step up for the benefit of all the people and his relationship with all the people. Right. This is not just about one person getting a reward and being the holy one in the bunch. Mm -hmm. It is about a general call to everybody to say, look, we all have a stake at this, and God has a claim on all of us individually. The sum of our parts, though, is something way beyond what we can even imagine. Mm -hmm. If we will step up together, and it says right in this chapter, they did, they agreed. Those coming back and those in the land, Mm -hmm. they agreed. The Spirit of God made it possible for them to set aside their fears of losing their advantage over others Mm -hmm. and for the benefit of all, contribute, Mm -hmm. which means stepping away from your crops or your things you're worried about and saying, God will have to take care of that. If I'm really going to join this movement, if I'm going to truck myself off to Lebanon to go cut down trees and drag (laughs) Drag them back back here or lay stones or give money to digging a new cistern for a well for the Mm -hmm. temple, if I'm going to be involved with that, who's taking care of my stuff? Mm -hmm. They had to choose to believe and act as if God would in fact take care of them while they're taking care of God's business. Well, this is a good example of serving others, of servant leadership. The example that Jesus gave us in denying yourself and serving others and doing the things that God calls us to do in loving our neighbor. This is a great way to do it. I love how they listened to Haggai and it resonated strong with them. The Holy Spirit was already Already, at work. And I love that because that's our... Stirring around in their hearts. That's the thing that we say. Find where the Holy Spirit is at work and join that work. And that's what these people are doing. That's what Zerubbabel and Joshua are doing. They are agreeing with, and then all of the people, because of their leadership, are saying, we're on board with this. We are already excited and ready to do what God is calling us to do. Yeah, we have said a number of times that we want to draw attention to where God is at work and then go to that. And this reminds me that it's not just an external thing. Like when we talk about what God's doing on the front lines of faith in Ukraine or Syria Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. China, as if it's somewhere way over there, we literally have to physically walk ourselves over to that. Sometimes I think the work that God is doing is happening right in our hearts, and mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that yes. and go to where that is and pay attention to it. If God really has been stirring in us, we need to wake up and be aware of that and celebrate the fact that God is doing something new in us. Mm-hmm. That takes discipline, time to be still, and to notice the movement of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And to ask him to bring it to your attention if yeah. you can't see it. Yeah. So we have these people primed and ready And now they're going to step into a work they don't know how to do. They may or may not have the skills, but they all are called to the same kind of faith, to step outside themselves and to step into something that they've never done before, which is to work corporately to do something for God. Mm -hmm. Now, I think about the times I've been through in my life in a church where the capital campaign happens and a new sanctuary gets built or some new ministry gets started that requires sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There are two different ways I've seen churches approach this. One is to say, this is what it's going to cost. 
put a dollar amount on there and say, we have to raise that kind of money to accomplish this goal. Well, that can be done. I mean, it's very specific and time limited and has an actual cost in dollars put on that project. Mm -hmm. And once it's succeeded, you can all rejoice that we sacrificed together and built this building. And now we have a bigger place or more opportunities or more flexibility in our ministries. There's another approach, though, which is asking God what he has and what he wants to do with what he already owns, Mm. and saying, we are willing to step into whatever it is, Lord, that you want us to do to accomplish your goals in this world through us right? and in us, trusting that God will provide, and literally putting a faith goal out there saying, as best as we know, Lord, from our prayers, from your spirit inspiring us, this is what you're calling us to do, and we have no idea how we're going to get to that place, Mm -hmm. but we know you called us to do this. And so you lay on the altar. And I've seen worship services where people have said, what is God going to call you to do? Not just about money, but what is he telling you in your heart to do? Let's put that on the altar together and let's give our offering to God, which is our will, not just our money. Mm -hmm. And let's surrender to whatever God leads us into doing. Mm -hmm. I've seen real power spiritually happen in situations like that where people say, I have no idea where God's going with this, but you know what? I really don't care what he's going to do or how he's going to do it through me because I trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And when that happens in the body of believers, big things begin to happen that they could not have even expected. Things happen in leaders. Now, again, this is not just about one person's vision, like a pastor saying, we're going for this thing. And when we talk about the term servant leadership, we often think in terms of leaders who act like servants. But that's not really what the scripture means. Servant leadership is to say, lead by serving. Mm-hmm. Which means every single person, whether or not they have a authority or a position, can in fact lead by serving. Yes. So all this goes to the issue of what does it mean to serve God and what does it mean to lead? Every single person who says yes to God and the call through Haggai's prophecy and through the other prophets coming back to lead this movement, this restoration movement, they're all leading by saying yes. Yeah. And by stepping up mm-hmm. and stepping in. I think that same principle is alive and well in the kingdom of God today. The kingdom grows when the body itself grows in their faith, in their willingness to follow him and to go to the places inside and out where God is at work. Well, like in verse 8, where God says, build my house, do this so I may take pleasure in it and be honored by it. Every time we build the kingdom, every time we build his temple within us, build his house He takes pleasure in that, and he's honored by that, and he delights in us in that. And he also says at the end of the chapter, I am with you. All of this stuff sounds hard. All of this stuff sounds labor-intensive and probably some weeds that need to get pulled and some walls that need to get torn down and rebuilt and all of that kind of stuff, rocks that need to be moved. He is with us in all of that. He's saying present tense. He's not saying, I will be with you when you. I am with you. And they're still in that unsettled state. They haven't really moved yet, is what it seems like. By the end of this first chapter, the call's been made, but they really haven't stepped out yet. Mm -hmm. They believe it's true. But there comes a time when Haggai stands up again and says, this is what the Eternal One says. Get on with it. (laughs) Right. He's saying, I am with you in the decision process, not just the doing. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to solve all the problems. You have to do all the designs. You have to lay out all the architectural drawings. You have to have all the logistics worked out about how the temple is going to be supplied with new equipment and Mm -hmm. stone and wood and everything else. He's not saying any of that. He's saying, to begin, I am with you while Mm -hmm. that thing happens. Right. While that ribbon's being cut. (laughs) 
that's what they're doing. They're having a ribbon cutting ceremony in chapter one. Yeah. That's probably a good place for us to drop off today with that. I just want to be reminded too and remind our listeners that these are our thoughts on what God is doing in this chapter, in this book of the Bible. Other people might have other thoughts. And if you have other thoughts than what you're hearing us speak, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear what your thoughts are on the book of Haggai. And we hope that you'll join with us throughout the next few weeks, walking through, chasing the word through Haggai. So drop us a line through the website on the forum that we have there for TalkBack. We also have an email address you can send a message anytime, info at CompassionRadio.com. Just drop us a line there. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you on tomorrow's Compassion Radio broadcast. You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you.